Turning now in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, beginning there in verse 31. The title of the message this morning is The Influence of the Kingdom. The Influence of the Kingdom. Our verses, our focus will be verses 31 through 35. So begin with me there, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. Another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, and it was, it was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Well, this is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower thereof falls away, but the word of our God lives and abides forever. As we continue our study through Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, we come to a, a change in gears right here in the middle as Jesus is giving these parables, we come to two short, succinct, bite-sized parables. So this is in contrast to the two we have looked at already. There are a total of seven kingdom parables that we describe these parables in the middle of Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus mixes up, he changes his teaching pattern from clear, direct, authoritative preaching and teaching to one that is what we call the form of the parables, which is truth illustrated in parabolic form. Extended metaphors and similes, and signified not only by the, the story, if you will, but the words, phrases, like, as. The kingdom of God is like, in the same way, if you will. So we're in the middle of these kingdom parables where Jesus is teaching not only his disciples, but also those who are in attendance or present there that day. But again, why is Jesus teaching in these parables? I want to make sure that we're clear on this. This is a form of not only edification and teaching to his disciples, this is also a form of judgment, a form of judgment on those who continue to hear with an ear of critique, a heart of blaspheming. We've been kind of pointing this out week after week, so if you're new with us, this is the reason why Jesus has shifted from direct, clear, concise teaching, which at times we need explanation for anyway with that, right? We need expanded, Lord, could you help us here? Can you help us to understand what that means? But now he has shifted to the parables. And all these parables relate to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of God. This is the theme, if you will, the theme of the kingdom of God, the fact that it is here, the fact that it exists, the fact that it is present and among us, this is the theme of Matthew's gospel. If you remember, John the Baptist began to preach initially with this message, repent, for the kingdom of God is nigh. It is here. It is at hand. Jesus came along, continued that message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see that there is such a thing as 
the kingdom of God in contrast to, say, the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God that is being preached here compared and contrasted with, say, the kingdom of Rome that is very visible and very real all around his disciples as they hear the Greco-Roman Empire. That certainly is a kingdom as well. But this kingdom is not like that kingdom. This kingdom, kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. So this theme in the Gospel of Matthew and now in the parables of the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom among other kingdoms of this world, and yet all of those are temporary. This kingdom is eternal. It is a kingdom that is present and yet is still growing. It is a kingdom that is present in nations and people groups and yet in its fullest sense is international. Here in our text, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to mustard seeds and to leaven in these two very short, accessible um, parables. Now, but do not be deceived. If you were to think that because these two parables are short, therefore they are, everyone agrees on the meaning of them, then you would be wrong. In fact, notice how these two parables uh, are distinct from the parable of the sower and the soils. And also distinct from the parable of the sower and the, of the weeds and the wheat that we looked at last week. In that, that Jesus gives no commentary on the, these verses, verses 31 through 35. And I believe this helps guide our interpretation of this passage by looking also into what the Old Testament has to say. How Jesus uses this phrasing. The metaphor of tree and seeds, birds, etc. I think this will help us as we understand the context of the kingdom parables and understand exactly what is Jesus uh, saying here. Here in verses 31 through 35, Jesus compares the kingdom to seeds, mustard seeds, and then also to leaven. In other passages of scripture, Jesus has used the illustration of a mustard seed in comparison to faith. The size of the mustard seed in comparison to to faith. And then in other passages of Scripture, we see that leaven is used both in an instructive way and then oftentimes, as we saw in the Scripture reading just a moment ago from Paul's writings, in a sense to illustrate for us wickedness or sin that is not dealt with. I don't think we're seeing that here in this parable. I think we're seeing both the seed and the leaven being used as a helpful description for the growth, the influence of the kingdom of God. In fact, I believe this is strategically placed right where it is to help maybe head off the questions that the disciples and even readers today and hearers of this passage today when we say, wait a second, in the parable of the sower and the soils, if only one out of four is a good seed that receives the seed, the obstacles seem, seem great. The cares of this life coming in and plucking out the seed and all the obstacles that the word of God that advances the kingdom goes through. And then as we saw last week, the parable of the, the wheat and the weeds, the sons of light existing and living among the sons of the world all at the same time, I believe this helps us to head off the question of, well, how successful is this seed? How successful is the sower in the spreading of this kingdom? What is the result of this kingdom? What, what is a status update on the advance of this kingdom that you're trying to tell us about? Jesus. And I believe in looking at these two short, succinct parables, Jesus is helping us to understand the horizontal aspect of the kingdom in that it is pervasive. 
in the parable of the leaven. And then also the vertical aspect in that it is greater beyond imagination than than any fleshly physical eyes have eyes to see. But yet those who are the disciples of Christ, who understand the gospel, who believe in their sovereign God, who can see his hidden hand, the creator God's hand, not only in creation, but trace it all throughout history. For those who have, as Jesus likes to say, ears to hear, eyes to see, the kingdom of God is greater than we could ever imagine. And it's greater than lost blind men have eyes to even give cognizance and reticence, or not reticence, cognizance and appreciation uh, to. So Jesus is using these parables to teach us the truth of his kingdom. To his disciples, he is taking things that are seen, simple things, agrarian things, and he's illustrating the unseen. He is taking what is material and he's illuminating what is spiritual. He is taking what is temporal and is illuminating what it means that it is eternal. The same thing in its eternality or its spiritual sense. He's taking what is seen and teaching and illustrating on what is unseen. Now as we've looked at, Jesus begins to continue. First off, we see in verse 31, the parable of the mustard seed. Now, again, these are unique in that Jesus does not give commentary on or explain them. But this morning, we're going to take both of these parables together and see that they're teaching the same truth and illustrating it two different ways. It answers the question, what will the kingdom of God look like, not only in the past as Jesus is presenting it, but friends, what does it look like in the present? What does the kingdom of God look like today? It will also answer the question, what will the process look like and how will it progress until the next age? And what we'll see in this, these verses is that the kingdom of God continues silently to grow and consistently to expand until Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns for his people. Friends, and wherever it goes, the power of the gospel that Paul describes in Romans chapter 116 will not only save the soul, but there are practical effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes things practically everywhere it goes. Now, I hope that you're tracking with me this morning as you think about the power of the gospel, maybe in your own life, of course, it begins on a personal level, but then thinking about the power of the gospel and how it has changed your marriage. Maybe you were married, you were an unbeliever, and you heard the gospel and you and your spouse came to faith in Christ. The gospel not only saved your soul, but the expansion of God's kingdom transformed your marriage. May the Lord stir up our hearts to to consider and to think about the ways that the gospel started small in a sense. Someone handed us, as we saw last week, to be faithful in the things of uh, the things of God. Someone handed us a gospel track. Someone lovingly inquired about our soul and began a gospel conversation. It started off small. It started off insignificant. It started off like everything starts off, but the effect, the transforming effect of the power of the gospel transformed our lives and continues to transform our lives and to build our faith in Christ. And as we begin to enter into the larger story of what God is doing through the kingdom of God and the gospel in the world even today. First of all, this parable of the mustard seed, verse 31, another parable He gave to them, put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. 
Now immediately when Jesus begins to invoke this language of a mustard seed, we'll pull some of this out in just a moment, this is common in the proverbial vocabulary and language of the day. The idea of a mustard seed being small was not so much that even it was the smallest of every seed possible. As we'll see in just a moment, Jesus is speaking within a context of a farm, a sower and seed in a, in a garden, if you will. It's generally accepted that a mustard seed would be among the smallest of those seeds planted for food, right? And so when you understand that, it helps us to enter into the common language of the day, not to judge it from where we are today, but to understand and enter into the mindset of the, the first century world. A mustard seed was often used as something as a point of comparison. That's so small, it's like a mustard seed. My goodness, uh, you know, you're talking about the size of something, and you, in comparison, hyperbole, bring in the smallness of a mustard seed to make the point. So as Jesus begins to talk about the mustard seed, immediately they begin to understand he's speaking within the realm of size. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. Verse 31, which a man took and sowed into his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Here in verses 31 and 32, this first one, what we see is that there's a theme here for this parable and it's simply this. The kingdom of heaven is small, starts off small, but it grows. The kingdom of heaven is small, but growing. And that's on a micro level, and it's on a macro level. It always begins small. The kingdom of heaven starts off small, but it never stops growing. There are two times in Scripture where the mustard seed is used, as I mentioned a moment ago. The first one is in the other Gospels in relation to faith. Here, it's in relation to the growth of the kingdom. In this parable, there is an action. A man takes seed and he sows it into a field. And the result of that action, this agrarian, simple, everyday action, farm activity, is that from a small seed, a large plant shoots forth. Again, the theme is small but growing. In fact, the side effect of this tree, this plant that grows from a, a tree, excuse me, a seed, to a plant, to a bush, to a small tree that some commentators say could at times grow up to be anywhere from 10 feet to 15 feet tall. In general, the average growth of a mustard seed plant was, was small, but some of them grew within a garden regularly to be upwards towards 8 to 10, sometimes even up to 15 feet tall. It would provide a place for even the birds to come and make their nest, to make their home. Now here's a spot in Scripture where when we as Christians, the disciples of Jesus, will say that we believe that the Word of God is inerrant, that means without error, well, those who don't believe that love to certainly attack the scriptures. And here is a, a hinge that they like to attack. In this particular parable, there are two things that critics of scripture like to come at in the teachings of Jesus. The first one here is verse 32, the mustard seed, where Jesus says is the least of all seeds. Again, it's not the smallest of seeds, 
And what's interesting is critics often ignore the context that Jesus is giving in each one of these parables. This is an agrarian context. Sowed in his, notice the word field, it's the smallest of seeds that a farmer would plant. Notice here the theme is for food. For food. In fact, this morning my wife, we were talking about the sermon, and she said, well, you may find this helpful. And so she found a bracelet that she had, and she handed it to me, and it had a, an inscription on there. I, I didn't take the time to read it, but... The point was that in a little glass triangle, that was the triangle itself was just itty bitty, like a little window pane, was a mustard seed. And I said, it's what? And I'm looking at it. I can't even see the mustard seed. It's the, a mustard color, but the slightest of, I don't know, mustard, yellow, just the, 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 the faintest. It, so my point was, in my hand, this little mustard seed that is covered on window, double window pane of a little tiny glass, I couldn't even see it. I had to, hold, I had to kind of play around with it. Uh, to see it. It was fascinating to, to have a living illustration in, in, in my hand this morning through my wife's jewelry. Here's the point. That's not the point. I got to see it this morning. It, it's not the ultimate smallest of all seeds. It is the smallest of food, farming seeds for the consumption of food. Verse 32, when it is grown, it grows into something that is greater. It is greater than the herbs. Notice the context. The other garden plants literally rendered it grows into something that is greater than the other herbs, garden plants, and becomes a tree. So they'll attack that literally. And again, we have to understand the first century use of the word, the context of how Jesus is using it within a farm. It's not an ultimate statement. It is a symbolic statement. And secondly, the word tree. They will attack the uses that Jesus gives when he says, and it becomes a tree. They think like a tree, like an oak tree or a cedar tree. And they'll see that a mustard tree is not sturdy enough to become a tree. And so the context, they'll attack it by comparing it to, say, other trees that we know to be in tree-like form. But here's the point. It is a tree when compared over against the other plants within the garden. Ten feet, 15 feet. Again, we're, we're keeping this within a, a strict context. It signifies, one commentator says, it signifies a tree in comparison to the smaller herbs and the smaller plants and the growths of the other plants that are around it. And commentators and experts do say that some of these will grow into 10 feet tall, 15 feet tall, or strong enough for a bird to come and to make its nest within its branches, sufficient enough for a bird's nest to plant there. Now, while you may be bored with that aside, I'm just telling you, if you are a Christian and you engage in evangelism, you will come into contact with criticism of the Bible. This may be one of the things that you come into context with. And it's good for us to study the scriptures, to have a, an answer for those who would ask of the hope that lies within us. And one thing you will find is that you have an advantage over people if you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God is that you know more of the Word than they do. They normally just know kind of cherry-picking critical aspects. So you can help guide them into what the way I just did it for you as well, helping them to understand the context and also the first century understanding of how these things were used and referred to. So here's the key. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is small, but it is growing. Then he introduces in verse 33 the second small, if you blink, you'll miss it, parable regarding that of the leaven. And the theme of the second parable is it, the kingdom of God is hidden, but it is working. 
It is silently, it's expanding, it's pervasive. The kingdom of God of heaven is like this. It is small but growing, parable one. It is hidden, but it is working. It is expanding whether or not you have the eyes to always see it or not. In fact, in our study of Ruth, we kind of drew this out last Sunday night when we were talking about God is doing 10,000 things just to, to pull a number. It could be 30 or a million things in your life at any given time, and you may be aware of two of them. But the kingdom of heaven is growing and expanding regardless of what you are aware of. Both micro in your personal life, but also macro in the greater scheme of things. What this does, just as an aside, is friends, it just draws our heart to trust in our sovereign God who does all things well. To trace his hand of providence, not only in history past, but in our lives, in our story, in our salvation, in our sanctification. And then to look at what he's doing in a macro sense and say, God, we don't always understand it, but we are joyful. We trust you. And we are a joyful people who reign with the king. Verse 33, another parable. He spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Of course, leaven is the fermented dough. In fact, here the context is given to us. Three measures would equate to be about 50 pounds. That's a lot. Enough to feed 100 people. Maybe in our mind's eye, we could imagine that Jesus and his, his mother Mary and the home that they grew up with as carpenters and as men who worked with their hands. Jesus had brothers. He had sisters. Maybe in his mind's eye, he's remembering his mother making the food for the week, making enough dough for the people in their family, an extended family. We don't know. But Jesus pulls into this in illustration or analogy everyday actions. Here, a woman begins to take yeast and it begins to permeate the flour. And here's the point. The yeast, although small, is powerful. The, the yeast has powerful action and it permeates, it expands the flour and causes that bread to rise. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like that. It is hidden, but it is working. There is a compound effect, just like there's a compound effect to money and finances, just like there is a compound effect to the physical realm, there is a compound effect spiritually in our lives but here Jesus is saying there is a, a compound effect to the kingdom of God. You wake up. The Lord gives you eyes to assess. The Lord gives you eyes to see. And what you begin to see is the results. You didn't see the process. But all of a sudden you say, God, I think I understand what you're doing here in this very difficult situation. You see the results of the hidden work of his kingdom expanding. The first parable just tells us that the kingdom grows. The second parable shows us and reminds us that it expands, that it is effective even when it doesn't always feel like it or seem like it. Those of you who teach the Word of God, who have served and serving with children and adults, some form of spreading the seed of the Word of God, humanly, you think quickly after your labor for the Lord and you think, Lord, Where's the results? Lord, I'm not seeing the results. Oftentimes, when you eat a meal, you change your diet and you eat that meal and you think, now where's the results, right? And it takes weeks, it takes months, 
to see the results, both good and bad, right? I'm starting to step on some toes. I get that. Spiritually, though, it's the same way. We come before the Lord in our quiet time, day after day, week after week. We read His Word. We see His glory in the Scriptures. We are taught about this kingdom, and yet we look around and we get discouraged sometimes. We say, God, I don't understand what's going on in my life right now. God, I, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. But then, a day like every other day, the Lord, just moment after moment, says, here's what I've been doing. See the work of my hands. Notice how this fits in with the broader understanding of the, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is always at work. The kingdom is always expanding. It's always going forth in the message of the gospel, reliance upon the gospel's power. And friends, it will never be thwarted or defeated. All glory be to Christ. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says to his disciples, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And, when, and then the end will come. So the authority of Jesus means that the kingdom of God through the gospel will have success. Matthew 28, 18, the great commission passage, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice what I, the illustration I gave just a moment ago of just the faithful compound effect of your God and not your taking in the scriptures and God sanctifying you and growing you, the kingdom of God advancing in your marriage, your home, your family, your workplace, your neighborhood. Teaching, verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It may not seem like much is going on, but friends, be faithful to the plow. Be faithful to the task of using some of these analogies that we've already seen of sowing the seed, parable of the sower. Being faithful as salt and light, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Know cognitively, have this cognizance and this knowledge and this confidence that God's kingdom will not fail. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, Matthew chapter 16. So here we see that and this understanding that we are to serve the king as co-laborers with him on what he is doing. We are empowered by his spirit. Turn with me, if you don't mind, back to an Old Testament passage, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Jesus is giving this parable of the mustard seed growing into a tree. This is language that the disciples would have understood based upon two key te Old Testament passages in Daniel chapter 7 and Ezekiel chapter 31. In Daniel chapter 7, in this prophecy that is being given of Daniel uh, regarding King Nebuchadnezzar, and we're jumping right in the middle of the passage here, of course. But notice with me in Daniel chapter 7, how the Word of God begins. It says, Then to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Friends, this is the kingdom of heaven. 
Turn with me now to uh, Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 3. Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 3. In fact, excuse me, before we turn there, go, just go back a couple of pages to Daniel 4, verse 10. Daniel 4, verse 10. I'm going to draw out something there from Daniel's passage as well. What we see here in these prophecies in the Old Testament is that the coming Messiah, this kingdom that he brings, the gospel, is not just going to people, it changes places. It doesn't just go to geographical locations, it changes those places for the glory of God. It will have powerful influence, it will be a blessing. Daniel 4 verse 10 says this, These were the visions of my head, again describing Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. These were the visions of my head while on my bed I was looking. And while I was looking, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant. And in this tree was, was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. Notice here, the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And these prophecies that we see, there is recognition and cognizance to the fact that even in earthly kingdoms, well, let me just ask you a question, who raises up even earthly kingdoms? Who allows them to exist? Well, the we do not have time to unpack it, but you just go through Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. If you have your Bibles open there, even look ahead to verse 35. God does all things according to the purpose of his own will and power. Daniel 4, 35 is one of the great statements of God's sovereignty to all men. Even in the raising up of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, there are practical benefits to those who are even in subjugation to that kingdom who flourished from it, even through sin and iniquity and slavery and other things, we see that good came about. But there is coming a day where there is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a kingdom. It is like the Babylonian kingdom. It is unlike, excuse me, it is unlike the Babylonian kingdom. It is unlike the Roman kingdom. It is unlike the Greek kingdom in this regard in that it is not temporary. It never ends. It continues in its duration. All of these kingdoms are temporary and earthly. Again, now turning to Ezekiel 31, verse 3. The metaphor in that passage of Daniel is simply that of a tree. And so when Jesus tells his disciples the kingdom of heaven is like a tree, their mind is going back to these Old Testament prophecies that talk about kingdom language. But then he compares and contrasts and says, but the kingdom of heaven is like this, is eternal. It is silent but always working. It is pervasive. It is growing. In Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 3, again, Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature, and its top was among the thick boughs. The waters made it grow. Underground waters gave it height with their rivers running around the place where it was planted and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Therefore its height was exalted above all the trees of the field, and its boughs were multiplied. Its branches became long because of the abundance of water as it sent them out. Now notice here the language that's used, not only of the tree, the plant, the descriptions there, but verse 6, And all the birds of the heaven made their nests in its boughs. 
under its branches, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow, all great nations made their home. Here's the point, friends. God is always at work. There is no history that's not a part of his story. History is the work of God among the nations. And in the same way as there were practical benefits to these earthly empires, these pagan rulers, even benefits to the people of God who were slaves of these empires, wherever the kingdom of heaven goes, the gospel advances to the benefit of every man who has ears to hear and eyes to see. Wherever Christians live faithfully to the gospel, preach the gospel, share the gospel, there is a direct, practical, flourishing benefit to all around. One commentator says this, When Christians live in obedience to the Lord, they are a blessing to those around them, whether or not they realize it or not. Aside, there is no excuse to be a jerk in the name of Christ. Let me make sure that is clear. When Christians live in obedience to the Lord, they are a blessing to those around them. Individual believers become the source of benediction to the nations. And with all their faults, those nations of the world who have been so influenced and who have recognized God's sovereignty and have sought to build their laws and standards of living on His Word, they have proved a blessing to the rest of the world in very practical ways, such as economic, legal, and cultural and social ways, as well as spiritual and moral. It is from the teachings of Scripture through Christian witness that high standards of education, justice, dignity of women, the rights of children, prison reform, and countless other social benefits have imperfectly come. Wherever the gospel of the kingdom of God is faithfully preached in practice, all the world benefits. This is not a glossing over of every possible sin or injustice done under the banner of Christ. There will always be those who do that. So if you hear me, don't, don't hear what I, that I'm saying that this morning. We're making a very clear point that the kingdom of heaven is always advancing, it is always pervasive, and it will ultimately stun those who are blind to it. In fact, I will tell you, it has already stunned many who are blind to it. In fact, if you're interested in reading more about this as an aside, there's a, an author who has a book entitled The Book That Made Your World. He's an Indian scholar who traces God's hand in his own nation. And he traces it back to, he did a study, just traced it back to the scriptures, the word of God, and how it calls flourishing even in his native land of, of India, the book that made your world. So friends, as we look at these two very small parables, the mustard seed, we see this progression of the seed, then growth into a plant, then growth into a bush, growth into a tree. Notice how this is just common everyday stuff. It's unimpressive in its origin. It's unimpressive in its growth. It's not flashy in its progress. But take comfort this morning in that the gospel, the advance of the gospel, the effect of the gospel, it is relentless. It is dominating. It blesses. There's practical benefits that comes Aside from, in fact, one commentator says this, it begins unimpressively, it grows relentlessly, it blesses significantly, it expands quietly, and it triumphs ultimately. 
And there's coming a day, Philippians chapter 2, where every nation, tongue, and tribe, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Simply look at the advance of the gospel beginning from when Jesus taught this parable and see it unpacked, unfolded, even in the rest of the New Testament. This king of glory goes to a cross to defeat our sin, its penalty, its power. He goes into, an empty, he goes into a tomb and comes forth gloriously, and now that tomb is empty. But yet at the cross at Mount Calvary, just a handful a mustard seed being planted. Just a handful of people. Wait a second. This is the pivotal act that all of history is, is literally separated over before the cross, after the life of Christ. And wait a second. Who's here to, be, to behold such glory? Just a couple of people. And yet it expands. It pervades. His kingdom will not be thwarted. See the cowardly disciples scattering but then see them quickly grow in the book of Acts into a group of 120. And then see them grow to 3,000. And then see them grow as a result of the preaching of Peter and the apostles and the word of God. Go from, one, from 11 to 12 to 3,000 to 5,000. Then to Antioch, as you see in the advance of the gospel in the book of Acts, to all the world. To me and you, Gentiles. Even here today, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost end of the earth. And friends, wherever the gospel goes, it starts off unimpressive. It starts small. But the kingdom of God, although unimpressively, just begins to grow and grow and grow relentlessly. Study the work of God in history, as I've mentioned, but also study the work of God in missions. Wherever the gospel goes, evangelism begins to take place. Street preaching begins to take place. There's no root just yet. Field evangelism, field preaching, house churches begin to emerge. Underground churches and nations like China and the 1040 window in the Middle East, they're there. That's what I'm talking about. The kingdom of God, although unimpressive, is growing relentlessly. And there are people who might be mighty in earthly kingdoms, but what they don't understand is there is a silent spiritual kingdom that is about to shake them to their cores. And should God will, she to decide to exercise his power, could bring those earthly kingdoms to the ground through the preaching of the gospel. He does that, which brings him glory in accordance to his will. Here's maybe another thought for you that the Lord reminded me of. Think about this is in the first century Middle East, uh, Judea, Palestine area. The advance of the gospel, I'm trying to think what is your left and your right, begins to go west. And Jesus tells them, take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel begins to work its way west. And of course, there's going backwards and forwards. But as it goes around the globe, friends, if you just think about the advance of the gospel and where God is working in just unbelievable ways as our reports are being given to us today, it has made a full, saturating, composite circle of the earth. As you think about what God is doing in India and in China and in the 1040 window, what we say are those unreached nations who have the least gospel presence. And while in one sense, friends, that is true, remember that the kingdom of God is at times silent and invisible. Now, 
That, that does not negate the fact that we need people to go forth and sow the seed. But where there is the sowing of the seed, God's kingdom is advancing. And God will build his name there. And the point that I'm simply trying to make is, is it's almost come full circle back to the Middle East. As you think about, take my gospel to the furthermost parts of the earth. Through the advance of the internet and technology, people have access to the gospel. The gospel now doesn't just go to them. Through apps and cell phones and the internet, people can access the gospel readily and accessibly. Do not be discouraged, faithful Christians. Saints here at Grace Church, do not be discouraged as you think about what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. Hidden, but working. God is advancing his kingdom. How do we know? Because, friends, he's working in my heart. He's working in your heart. That's how we know that the kingdom of God is at work. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for your truth, your word. What an encouragement these two small parables are in the midst of these overarching larger ones. Father, we cannot simply hear of the advancing kingdom of God and not consider our own role in it. We are beggars who've been transformed by the righteous robes of Christ. Like Mephibosheth, we've been brought to David's table to have a place, Lord, at the king's table to never Lord, be taken away. We are adopted sons of our loving God. We must consider our role in sowing the seed. We cannot proverbially here stay at the table constantly, Lord, but right now in your kingdom, in this age, this age of grace, the age of the church, we must go out into your fields, into the highways and the hedges, and, Father, bring others in. Would you help us, Lord, to be faithful to the teaching of the gospel, living in reliance upon the finished work of Christ, with joy, Lord, knowing that our effort, our service is never wasted. For the eyes of him who sees all will reward us in that great day. Whether or not men ever see a thing that we do, it's not for them anyway. Father, it's out of love for Christ, passion for your glory, and knowing that your kingdom will never end that renews our steps, gives energy and strength to our hands and our mouths as we seek to be faithful in the little corners, in the little garden farms where you have placed us. Lord, help us just to be faithful, to continue to sow the seed of the gospel and to know that your kingdom is growing silently, unimpressively. Lord, there's moments you are pleased to show us flashes of brilliance, if you will, a great harvest or a work of God and unusual ways. We trust in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.